You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. This episode is presented by the Choctaw Nation. The Choctaw people have a rich history and a bright future. At the Choctaw Cultural Center, you can take part in a story 14,000 years in the making. Stroll through our immersive exhibits portraying Choctaw life from the moment our ancestors emerged from the Nani Wayhai in Mississippian homelands to the Trail of Tears, where we lost so many loved ones, and finally to the modern-day tribe making a positive impact on local communities throughout southeastern Oklahoma. Try your hand at our social dancing and stickball and learn more about our vibrant culture through demonstrations, workshops, and classes. The kids will have a blast in our Luxie Activity Center. The Choctaw Cultural Center is more than a museum. It's a living, breathing experience. Visit ChoctawCulturalCenter.com to plan your visit. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, host, back with another episode down at the Oklahoma Hall of Fame today. Gives me great pleasure to introduce our guest today, Congressman J.C. Watts, uh, former OU quarterback, right? Some yeah, other, some other football, once upon a time. Um, <laughs> done some really cool stuff and, and obviously, you know, had a, had a great career in politics and still going. But we're going to talk about a lot of different things today, a lot of stuff that most people don't get from just reading your your bio on a website or something, right? That's why we do this awesome kind of hour podcast and dive into who you are and what you do. But when people say to you, who is JC Watts? What do you usually tell them? Oh, I, um, and then, you know, Mike, as you just shared, most people know that I played football at the University of Oklahoma, played in Canada for five years, Mm -hmm. Toronto and Ottawa. Um, Served in the political arena for about 12 years, four on the, four on the state level, then eight in, in federal government as a member of Congress. But I, I think I, the, the, the things that I take a lot of pride in that I think will really establish your legacy, it's, it's your kids and your grandkids. Yeah. I've been married for 45 years, and boy, it tells you a whole lot about my wife, Frankie, and 
uh, six kids, ten grandkids, and this is a special time of the year for me because of Thanksgiving and Christmas when one of those two holidays will usually have everybody under one roof. So it's pretty special with the Christmas lights and the trees and the gifts. And so, um, but yeah, I'm, I, I've done a little bit of everything. One of these days I'm going to retire and I've been blessed to do enough that I'm trying to figure out what am I going to retire from? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, but uh, uh, yeah, married 45 years, six kids, 10 grandkids. And I, uh, I enjoy um being with with family, I don't have many hobbies. I, I read a little bit. I work out, you know, six times a, a week at least. And yeah. I guess that's if I mentioned that I had a hobby, that would probably be it. But <clears throat> excuse me, when you've got kids and grandkids, that's that's kind of your your social life. You you yeah. that's that's your. Your, uh, those, I guess those are your hobbies, and so I, I've enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. So Thanksgiving obviously coming up. What is the uh, what's the uh, the specialty on the menu? Are you are you big into the cooking, or do you just kind of I step I, back I handle the yams. Okay, and you know if 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 the cornbread dressing and the yams if, if they're not right. Thanksgiving is a waste. I mean, <laughs> it's a bummer. Yeah. So, uh, but and, and I I so enjoy the yams that you'd go to different people's house for Thanksgiving and the yams wouldn't be right. I just did it and I was looking for my mother's flavor in the yams. She just had a way with with cornbread dressing and the yams. And my wife got that cornbread dressing thing down pretty well after. You know, we were married for 20, 25 years. She got that down. But the yams would just, everywhere we'd go, they wouldn't be right. And so I just kind of started doing it myself and said, if I do it, I know they'll be sweet enough. I know they'll have the right flavor, you know, right vanilla, right cinnamon, right nutmeg in them. And Mike... <laughs> we invited some of our friends when we lived in Virginia seven, eight years ago. We invited some of our friends over for Thanksgiving. They were from Oklahoma, and they were my daughter's friends, actually. They were, the family was in, in the area. We invited them Thanksgiving dinner, and they made the comment. They said, man, these jams should be dessert. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I thought, mission accomplished. So, yeah, the cornbread dressing and the yams. If I don't care about the turkey. I don't care about the cranberry sauce. I don't care about the, yeah. the, the sweet potato pie or pumpkin pie. You know, I'm I'm focused on the yams and, and the cornbread dressing. Yeah. And like I said earlier, you know, you got all the family around. Everyone's having a good time. you got football on, on TV yeah. and all the other good stuff. Yeah. It's such a great occasion. Yeah. Right, for, yeah. for the family. And, and, and a time to really, I think, give thanks. Yeah. And regardless of what political party we're in or what part of town we live in or grew up in or or regardless of what we think might be going wrong in, in America or around the world, we all have something to be thankful for. Yeah, so sure. we, we do take time to 
to uh, give thanks for the blessings that we've enjoyed in in spite of what the craziness that we see happening yeah. out there. Yeah, definitely. And and like you know, for me, like coming from the UK, growing up there, Thanksgiving was not a thing. You know, we, we don't have that back home. We do have, you know celebrate Christmas, but for you over your career and travels, you know, because you're away from probably Oklahoma so much and traveling so much, that you know, rather than the odd birthday, Thanksgiving was probably like the only time you really got everyone under one roof and Christmas, right? Yeah, yeah, it it it, uh, it is, and um, you know, with all of our kids, we may get two or three for Thanksgiving, or maybe two, or, or but for Christmas, that's usually the time that we get everybody yeah. together. Now, when I played football in Canada, I actually got to experience two Thanksgivings because Thanksgiving in Canada is in October. Oh yeah, and um, and then you know I would come home and, and usually be home for Thanksgiving here in the U.S. And so I got to experience, uh, had two times that we set aside uh, to, to give thanks. Yeah, brilliant. So going back then, you grew up in Eufaula. Right. What, uh, what's that, what was that like growing up in Eufaula and born, was it late 50s? Uh, 1957, yeah. yeah. Mike, it was... Um, Typical rural Oklahoma, rural America upbringing. Um, I, you know, it was kind of an interesting time that I look back on it. I've talked about it in um, books that I've written and articles that I've written and things that I've shared about my life over the years. Um, You know, I remember the time growing up. I'm old enough to remember some of the last elements of Jim Crow, um, you know, having to sit in the balcony of the movie theater, couldn't sit down below with my, my white friends that I played summer league baseball and played basketball and football with. Uh, couldn't swim in the public swimming pool till I was probably in, in the fourth grade. Um, and, but, but in spite of that, there was, there was a thing that I, I've talked about um, what I've learned from the stoplight and that in, in rural Oklahoma or rural America for the most part the railroad tracks separated the black community from the white community but in spite of the elements of Jim Crow that I experienced and talking to my parents and my grandmother about some of the things that they went through reading about the history of America and even the history of Oklahoma, um, there was still one thing that I think kept a little bit of civility, and it was a stoplight. And regardless of what side of the railroad tracks you grew up on, everybody in the community recognized that that red meant stop, yellow meant clear the intersection, green meant go. And everybody respected the stoplight. And I I think when I look back uh, on my upbringing and growing up in Eufaula, Oklahoma, I've often said that Eufaula, Oklahoma gave me my roots, but the University of Oklahoma gave me my wings. And my roots were established with respecting the stoplight, understanding sacrifice, commitment, a work ethic, faith, you know, we we didn't. I mean, I think at the I think sports sports probably gave me a, a little better appreciation 
or, or I can I think a little better foundation to get through the elements of Jim Crow because in in sports um, usually it's big team little me everybody for the team all in for the team and you don't get in a huddle and you look at people's skin color or you look at you know what part of town they grew up in you look at the the sacrifice they make to win to to for the team to to do well and so I think all of that probably gave me uh, a little better perspective on the race issues or the balcony, you know, having to sit in the balcony of the movie theater. Uh, all of those things gave me a little greater perspective. I think being an athlete and kind of being the quarterback of the team and boxing and basketball and what my Native American basketball coach and what my white football coach and what my black father, what they expressed yeah. and talked about, it was all the same thing. You know, sacrifice, having a respect for authority, you know, go to school, and not only are you going to go to school, you're going to act civilized once you get there. I mean, those are kind of the, those are the values that Buddy and Helen Watts and yeah. um, my family members, that's what they, what they taught us, and, and it's it's those roots have served me well yeah 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 and with you know with having a big family and with the experience that you've had growing up how do you kind of you know when you hear your grandkids talking to you about problems they may have or problems in the world and obviously you have a lot more experience than they do but we have different problems today compared to the problems that you grew up with how do you use that experience and, and, and not be the bitter old man and say, yeah. back in my day, it was you have nothing, you know, you, you didn't deal with what I dealt with? Because right. those are the fascinating questions. And also the interesting, great part about it is you get to be a dad and a granddad, right? Yeah, yeah. How do you and and I, I think, you know, my son, my, my baby boy, played football at the University, University of Tulsa uh-huh. and went over there as a walk-on mic and started for four years. Yeah. And But his freshman year, he, he wanted to quit. Mm. And now dad's wisdom really comes into play. And I remember telling him, you know, Trey, my freshman year, I quit twice. I said, I just thought this wasn't for me. I don't like it. I'm not getting to play. You know, just totally ignoring that these coaches, every freshman that comes in think they should be playing. And so I remember Coach Switzer telling me my freshman year when I wanted to quit, he said, hey, if you stay, you'll play. You've got a future here. Um, You know, understanding how to practice and paying the price, you're at a different level now. So he kind of talked me through that. Well, fast forward to my son's career. Um, His freshman year, I guess, was around 1998, 99, somewhere along in there. But, man, he's just feeling as low as grass. He's just wanting to give up, turn his back on it. And and I gave him the same advice that Coach Switzer had given me. Hey, if you stay, you'll play. You've got a future there. The freshman year is tough. Um, you're away from all your friends, all your comfort, surround your comfortable surroundings. You're away from your parents, your high school buddies that you hung out with. Hang in there. And and Mike, then the second year, 
he's starting. Yeah. And the third year, he he's just he's doing great. And the fourth, you know, is his next to last year. Last year, he's he's the center of their offense, one of the critical pieces of their offense. And and I look back on that, and I, I think what he and 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 now he's married. He's got a daughter. Um, you know, got a good career with Uber. He and his wife. And 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 I I'm, I suspect he's looked back on that freshman year, and what I take from that is 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 that he experienced the fact that hard work does pay off, mm-hmm. that sacrifice does matter. Um, you know, don't get discouraged and lose hope and give up when things don't go your way. And those are life lessons, I mean, that I think athletics often teach us. Um, I'm, I'm doing a, um, I've got a life group at our church that I'm starting next month called It's a Football Life. And just kind of talking about the parallels of football and scripture and football and life and how they all work together and and they intersect on so many fronts. But I think I talk to them. You can talk to the kids about sacrifice and commitment. Don't quit. Don't give up. It's going to work out if, if, if you'll stay the course. He actually saw it. Mm-hmm. Unfold and saw that those old fundamental values, they still work. Yeah. They, they 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 still have magic. Right. You know, if, if you'll you know if you'll be composed enough and mature enough to allow them to work. Yeah, and have that belief that they will work. That's right. right? That's, the, that's, that's right. the hard battle too, right? It's yeah. like I, this. You know, I'm not playing. I I think I'm working hard enough, and I'm not getting my chance. And you kind of feel slighted, cheated, whatever. You know, it's something that's you know, and then and then because of that pressure, all the outside factors start pulling at you, right? You know, yeah. maybe the coach just yeah. doesn't like me. Yeah. You know, and all that yeah. stuff. And and sometimes even in life, outside of athletics, but life in general, life period. Uh, you can be doing all the right things yeah. and the wrong thing happens. But you still have to have faith, stay the course, s- stay consistent, be persistent, yeah. you know, and, and just have a faith that in the end it is going to work out the right. way I hope that it would. And I, I read a, I don't know who said it, I read a quote here just in the last couple of weeks. It said, uh, you know, in life, you, you, you never lose. You either win or you learn from the circumstances that, you, that, that you're faced with in life. You, you either win and accomplish what you're trying to accomplish, and when you don't, you take that as a, as a, as a learning uh, period or as a, you know, as, as a life lesson, and, and, you, and you learn from it. I think Albert Einstein said, he said, I didn't fail a thousand times. I just found a thousand things that didn't work. And and that's that was his his life uh, the, the thousand and 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 one time um, you know Thomas Edison the, the thousand and one time uh, after failing a thousand times that thousand and one time invented the light bulb yeah so yeah it's you, you either you either win 
in, in life or you learn, yeah. you never lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So high school then, you know, football is huge for you in high school and there is that kind of passion and dream to maybe one day play at the college level. Was it always OU for you that you wanted to go play for or did you have other offers? <clears throat> um, not really. I, I was blessed to be recruited by many schools mm-hmm. and I finally made a decision that I was going to stay in the state. So if you're going to stay in the state of Oklahoma and play, it's either OU, Tulsa, or OSU. And I liked all three schools. But at the end of the day, I, I, the Sillman boys, Leroy, Lucius, and, and Dewey, they too are from Eufaula. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just great guys, and and good football players and I remember in the seventh grade OU kind of hit my radar screen because we played Nebraska University of Oklahoma played the University of Nebraska in the game of the decade and both teams were undefeated played in Norman and for the first time in my life I saw someone on national television that I knew personally it was Lucius Silman. And that just, that just, it, it clicked with me in a, in, a, in a way that I had not, um, you know, it, it intersected with me in a way that I, I had never experienced, just because Lucius dated my sister and, uh, in high school, and this guy that was in my front room, now he's on my TV screen. That was a big deal in Ufall, Oklahoma, to, to the kids down there. And so that before that, the two teams that I really kept up with, I could tell you a whole lot more about Notre Dame and Grambling yeah. than I could the University of Oklahoma until that, that game in 1971. So uh, I decided I was going to stay in the state of Oklahoma when I was getting recruited. I took trips to Texas Tech and uh, Rice University and Oklahoma State, OU, I played basketball, so I didn't get to travel a whole lot. Um, but I, I, I finally concluded that what I wanted in a, in a program, good academics, good athletics, you get national exposure on TV, two hours from home, um, I just decided I was, I was going to pick the University of Oklahoma, and of course... Um, the rest is history. Yeah. And you get there, and like you said, you didn't, you know, you, you go to OU, and at first, you, 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 like you said, you wanted to quit twice. Yeah. So freshman year was not easy and tough, and what did you, when you go at that point, you know, that you're going through the kind of low, probably low esteem, you think, I don't want to do this anymore, what was what was the net, you know, what were you thinking you were going to do? Were you just going to leave football and go to your studies, like no, I was I was gonna I was looking for another you school. You were just gonna go out, okay. gonna go go to another school because yeah. you know you think you think the grass is gonna be greener on sure. the other side of the fence. Mm-hmm. But if if you go if you leave OU and go to OSU or you go to UCLA or you go wherever you think yeah. you want to go, Texas Tech, you're gonna deal with the same problems, the same issues, and I think. You know, my freshman year, after I had that visit with Coach Switzer, uh, two things happened. Um, I thought, you know, my education, I, maybe I, I, I should, 
you know, give a little more thought to that. I, I was a, I was a good student, but I, you know, football was was my focus, yeah. and so I, I said, hey, education, take advantage of it. It it just registered with me, and and secondly, um, I think I grew up. Uh, I started to mature a little bit, and before the second time I quit and went home to Ufala, my father who who um, spent two days in the seventh grade, um, he always talked about getting an education. Now, to most people of that generation in my neighborhood, when they said get an education, they meant finish high school. They didn't, they didn't mean necessarily mean go to college. And Daddy spent two days in the seventh grade. That was the extent of his education. And the second time I quit, I guess he could see this was becoming a habit, things not going my way, and I kind of turned my back on it and, and quit. And he, he said something to me that, again, I was ripe for what Coach Switzer said to me, but I was also right for what Daddy, the seed he had planted before I had the conversation with Coach Switzer. Daddy said to me, he said, you know, Junior, you're in an age that um, you know, you're going to have to make these decisions on your own. He said, I'm not going to try to influence you one way or the other. He said, but I want you to realize if what you're doing was easy, everybody would be doing it. And Michael, again, I guess I was just ripe yeah. to hear that. And so he really planted a seed and went back, talked to Coach Switzer. Coach Switzer saying what he said. And then for some reason, I didn't think Barry Switzer was just trying to coax me into staying, right. you know, and, and not leaving. I, I, he said, you're going to, he said, we're going to redshirt you. I played 12 downs, total of 12 downs in 12 games all season long my freshman year. He said, next year we're going to redshirt you, which means you're not going to even play 12 downs. You're not going to play one down next year. He said, you'll come off redshirt, is back up, you'll start for two years, and that's the way it happened. And again, I, for some reason, I was, I was ripe to hear that. I didn't think he was saying it just to you know, butter me up, trying to get me to, to stay so he'd have somebody that could run the scout team. I took him at his word, and um, that's exactly how how it turned out. Yeah. I came off. I, reg, I was redshirted. Came off redshirt as a backup to Thomas Lott, and started for two years, and had a had a nice career at the University yeah. of Oklahoma, and, and graduated in 1981 with a degree in journalism. Yeah, it's a lot of trust there then in coach at that point. Yes, and 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 I. I look back on that time, and I, some of the guys I came in with as freshmen, they did leave. They didn't stay. Yeah. And I remember a good buddy of mine, Daryl Ray, I'd gotten him up and to, to help me pack, and I drove off at about 2 o'clock in the morning heading home to Oklahoma thinking I'm going to find me a new new uh, university home, and I remember Daryl Ray, because I had, had uh, awakened him, and, and uh, he said, what? You woke me up this morning to, to help you pack. He said, you better not come back. <laughs> you know, he said, you better stay gone, because I've gotten up to, to help you pack. Uh, but, uh, you know, coaches have it so, and, and it's not just then, it's even today. I mean, with the portal and people transferring in and out. And, um, 
but you know, all freshmen think they should be playing. It doesn't matter that Michael is quarterback. I'm a quarterback. Michael's been starting for three years. I think because of my high school credentials, all state, all American, player of the year, I should come in and, and be playing right away. And it just, now today, because of the rules, you're kind of forced. Um, freshmen are, are forced into action a little sooner than, than I think maybe coaches would, would like. But in my day, it was for a freshman to play. I mean, you had two quarterbacks ahead of me that had a whole lot more experience than me. But by golly, I thought I should play. Most freshmen think like that. Yeah. And, you know, coaches have the, the difficulty of saying, hey, look, be patient. If you stay, you'll play. You've got a future here. And in today's culture is a lot more, um, uh, a, a lot more significant in that area than it was during during my day. Yeah. Uh, you didn't have the portal in in uh, 1976 or in the 70s and the 80s or the 90s. You couldn't put your name in the portal, and you know. Coach Johnson from XYZ University calls and says, hey, we've got a spot for you here. Um, it, 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 you're dealing with a different athlete today than you did when we came along. And, Michael, I, I know, I guarantee you, when I was quarterbacking in Oklahoma, the, the most gifted quarterback, in my opinion, on the squad was the third teamer, a guy named Rod Pegues, who was just – extremely talented and never never got to play quarterback at the University of Oklahoma. However, he played for the New Jersey Generals of the old USFL Football League and he was back up to Herschel Walker as a tailback. So that tells you how talented Rod was, but he, he never saw the field at the University of Oklahoma. And, and there were a lot of guys like that that I mean, today they could transfer out and go play somewhere. Somebody would make a spot for them. Yeah. Um, they were all everything in high school, and, and and that was also during a time that you could offer, uh, up until 1976, you could offer 50 scholarships if you wanted to. Right. Today I think you can only offer 25. So things have changed. You're dealing with a different kind of athlete. I, I think athletes today are – a little more I and me than we and us than than they were and than we were in the 70s and, and 80s. So things have changed. Things have changed. But coaches, again, coaches have to manage right. all of that, all the personalities and egos and the parents and you know the girlfriends that thinks he should be playing. And uh, coaches have to manage all of that. And in 1976. Uh, that's kind of where I was. Yeah. I thought I should be playing, and by golly, if you're not going to play me, give me a release, and I'll right. go somewhere else. Yeah. Well, and now they're dealing with the NIL deals and the money that's coming in, and guys getting more money than others, and guys getting cars from local dealerships and all that stuff. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And and I I think actually I, the NIL. Yeah. I, I have, I have. I think they, they need to put some parameters around it, some sideboards around it, if you will. I like the fact that I think players are getting, being compensated in some way. Um, I don't like the fact that 
school A could literally get in a bidding war with school B. And at the end of the day, you're thinking, man, if that kid goes pro, he's going to have to take cut and pay. He's, he's, making more, <laughs> he's making more as a college freshman or sophomore than he would have you know, been in the NFL two or three years. But so I, I, I think I don't think we can justify or we could justify a coach making eight to ten million dollars a year because of the product on the field, which means Michael and JC, are, we're the product on the field. The coach is making $10 million a year. The university is making millions, or the athletic department is making millions of dollars uh, out of it. But the kids, you know, they're not compensated right. in some way. I would like to have seen maybe some type of stipend yeah. um, for everybody on the team on scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe another thing at the end of four or five years, the kids on scholarship, you know, you give them a $50,000 grant after they graduate and, and, you know, to kind of get maybe buy a condo or, or get, give, them, give them somewhat of a jump start, if you will, in life after football. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that could have been done, but what we have now is literally... Um, it, it's it, it's. I just don't think it's healthy for for college football. I don't think it's healthy for the for the um, for the locker room. Yeah. That the culture of the locker room. Um, you know, Michael's making twenty thousand a month, and JC is second, third team quarterback, right. making nothing. Right. Knowing if something happens to Michael, I go in. I could make a pretty good argument that I'm significant. Yeah, you know, so it 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 seems to to um, beckon a lot of a um, lot of issues, and I think the NCAA, I, I think they're worthless. I think they should have, they should. I don't know how they couldn't have seen this coming. I told an athletic director about four years ago. I said to him, I, because I was taking exception to some things they were doing and, or that happened at a, at, a, at a particular university, and so I had the luxury of being able to call and talk to the athletic director, and I told him, I said, in the next three to five years, you're going to see, because of what's going on in college athletics, um, what's going on with health care and the athlete, um, what's going on in terms of compensation with coaches and players not getting you know anything out of it or, or very little out of it, I should say. Um, I said in the next three to five years, you're gonna see you're gonna see on ESPN or on the sports that some team on Saturday morning said, we refuse to go out and play today because we don't like XYZ. And that almost happened two years ago in Missouri. I think it was the University of Missouri, where the players were talking about boycotting um, and, and not going out because of some things that the university had, had done. So it's just human nature that if, 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 if J.C. and Michael both are yeah. doing the same thing, but you're paying J.C., Thousands and Michael's not making anything, or vice versa. I mean, it's just human nature that at some point you say, "Hmm, 
Uh, uh, something's wrong with this picture. Right. And and I think we're getting. I, I think we're there in in college athletics. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, you know, and obviously you know firsthand. You know the experience that you guys had compared to the experience that these kids are having now, and then obviously through the friends you still have and, and the connections through the team, you're you're hearing these stories. Yeah. Of, of yeah. You know, the, like you said, the coach's job is hard enough dealing with you know egos coming in freshman or whoever deciding that they should play but also when you call I mean money adds a whole lot of problems oh no, yeah you know yeah. and Michael and let me tell you something else I think coaches the first time I saw a, a national press conference mm-hmm. on ESPN of a high school kid sitting there with his mother or his parents or grandmother, your friends around, and he's got three different caps there, and he picks the University of Oklahoma, Oklahoma says, I'm going to attend the University of Oklahoma. Don't you know, again, it's human nature. Don't, don't you know that that just creates an attitude that says, I'm pretty good. Yeah. Man, I'm I'm yeah, I'm Mr. Yeah, you know I'm I'm moving up to the east side now. Yeah. I I I don't think I know that's where we are. That that that's the reality of what we're living with today. But um, I still believe it's had yeah. uh, an adverse impact yeah. on on the sports. And I think what college coaches what they have to manage. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you led the team to consecutive Orange Bowl victories. What's it like being under Coach Switzer in that, you know, in his prime, in your prime? Like, I mean, I'm sure there's stories you can't tell, but for the ones that you can tell, I would love to hear some. <laughs> well, I, I, heard a, I heard a discussion uh, on sports radio here. It's been in the last two or three Two or three weeks, and and I'm I'm getting about as tired of sports commentary as I am political commentary because <laughs> it's just a bunch of opinions. Yeah. But the, the, the question was asked in in today's world of college football, who do you think would be the best recruiter out of Barry Switzer and Nick Saban? And of course, the host said that he thought Nick Saban would be and. I think that's the same kind. That's no different than saying, you know, who's the greatest, who's the GOAT in, in, in the NBA, the greatest of all time in, in, national, in the National Basketball Association. And I came up during the time of, of Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell and John Havlicek and, and uh, Gail Goodrich and Jerry West and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, you know th- those guys, and and my thing is this. If and I told my son, um, my youngest son, we've had this discussion. Our kids and and um, they were saying who they thought the greatest of all time was. And I said, I tell you what, you pick. You start in the '60s, and and come through today, and you pick 20 players the top 20 players, I'll let you have the first 10 picks, I'll take the next 10, 
and I guarantee you, I'll win my share. Jerry West could have played in any generation. Kobe Bryant could have played in the 60s. He could, as he did, as, as well as he did in the 2000s. Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. Yeah, I, I think that's a, it, it's fun to have those discussions, but, you know, Bill Russell would have, could have played in any generation. Shaquille O'Neal, the same way. Michael Jordan. Um, so, um, I, I just, but but the sports commentary said that, or this host, he said that he thought Nick Saban would be the best recruiter. I I just, Barry Switzer could have recruited in any generation, because one, he, he's he's got a lot of foot. He's he's got a high football IQ, and two. I'm telling you, Nick Saban, Barry Switzer, any college coach. Coaching is all about relationships. And Barry Switzer, um, you know, my wife, most women, they just have a sixth sense about people. And my wife will say to me, she said to me occasionally, uh, something about him I didn't like. You know, uh, something about her I, I didn't like. Um, and, and, but I'm telling you, she loves Barry Switzer. Um, Coach Switzer just has social skills, people skills that is very rare in any generation. So could he recruit today? Yeah, he could recruit today. As a matter of fact, I think probably the thing that got him in, in trouble was was that he, he was, I think, Coach Switzer just uh, sometimes had a difficult time being a dictator. And I think sometimes you, you've got to be a dictator and say, hey, look, the buck stops at me. This, this kid is gone. I've, 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 I've gone to the end of the road with him or with her, et cetera, et cetera. I think Coach Fletcher had a difficult time doing that because I, I think if you've ever read The Bootleggers, boy, you'll get a great understanding of uh-huh. Of, of, of Barry Switzer, but I, I think he had a difficult time uh, with folks, and and he, you know, would give a second, third, sometimes a fourth chance, and yeah. a couple of times it came back to haunt him, and and then people they'll focus on the young man that he gave a third or fourth chance to that it didn't work out. And they don't focus on the guy that he gave a second or third chance that it did work out. They, the people were just human nature. We like to focus on the least common denominator or, or the least uh, of, of these that didn't work out. But he's, and, and I don't know, maybe it's an Arkansas thing because Bill Clinton was the same way. I, I've told my um, Longhorn friends who, who, who they don't want to like Barry Switzer, and I've said to him, I said, look, you spend 15 minutes with Barry Switzer, you'll love the guy. I promise you, you you'll like him. So, you know, they don't want to spend time with him because they don't want to like him. But right. Bill Clinton was the same way. I've said to my Republican friends, if you know, if you don't want to like Bill Clinton, don't spend 20 minutes with him, 15 minutes with him, because he, Bill Clinton just had a special sauce. He and Barry Switzer both they just have a special sauce when it comes to to 
people skills. And so I'm, I'm hard pressed to believe that Nick Saban could out recruit Barry Switzer in the 70s or in 2022. That, that's a tough sell on me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you just, obviously you just mentioned Bill, which we'll dive into the politics in a second, but you also played alongside Billy Sims, right? I did. Like, yeah, I mean, I did. We could, we could talk hours on football, but yeah, I just wanted to point that out. That's obviously, you know, you, you've had a pretty great time at OU around some, some, you know, some football legends. And, and like I said, cause being the quarterback is, you know, you're the leader of the team and it's a great position to be in. Yeah. And, and Billy things. was, um, I, <laughs> you know, I had the best seat in the house yeah. and with, I mean, my backfield had Billy Sims, who was the number one draft choice for the Detroit Lions. And Bill Parcell said, this, you know, when he was evaluating talent, he said uh, he would give players, he would score players from one to five, with five being being the highest score that he would give. And he said in all of his analysis of players, he said there's two players I've given a five to. And he said one of them is Lawrence Taylor. And we know the kind of career Lawrence Taylor had. And he said, and Billy Sims. And, and, and if I, when I was, I had Billy Sims, who was first-round draft choice by Detroit. Um, career was cut short because of a knee injury. And NFL fans got cheated because Billy's career was cut short. David Overstreet, who was the number one draft choice for the Miami Dolphins, and Stanley Wilson, who started for the Cincinnati Bengals. So, Mike, if I didn't screw up the snap, we were going to win. You know, my job was just don't screw up the snap. You know, it was kind of like you're in the movie uh, Secretariat. Uh, the trainer was... You know, Ronnie's got a his 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 jockey had a you know twenty five uh, horse length lead, and uh, you know the trainer saying, "Ronnie, don't fall off." You know, that's the only way they could lose if he fell off the horse. Well, the only way we would lose yeah. if I if I screwed up the snap because yeah. if I, if I got it to either one of those three guys, we were going to be okay. Plus, with that offensive line that that we had, so yeah. Playing with Billy was uh, the, the guy was extremely humble and was was and you would think that Heisman Trophy winner coming back for a senior year, you know he'd he'd have a head head as big as Texas, but very humble and and just was about us and we, not I or me. And he was Billy was the consummate team player right. so uh, and I got to experience playing with those kind of yeah, guys yeah so so then you naturally would you know have your eyes on pro football and think I, I'm you know I can do this well what is it you know when you're in your senior year and people are thinking you know are they coming to you and asking you are you going to go pro like what is the obviously I'm sure it's totally different now compared to what it was then but what was that process like my my pro my professional chances was was a little different than most quarterbacks coming out of um, you know brand name schools like OU or USC or Florida State. Uh, two things in 1981 that that I had to deal with. One, um, I was a wishbone quarterback, and wishbone quarterback. I, I threw the ball 
81 times my entire senior year. That's through 12 games. My first start in Canada, Mike, I threw it 51 times. You know? so, yeah. so, uh, but, uh, so I was a wishbone quarterback. We didn't throw the ball uh, a lot in, in, uh, in college, but I felt like I could throw the ball. I, I, um, and, and secondly, I was, I was a black quarterback. You, you didn't, back in those days, you didn't see black quarterbacks in the National Football League. And, um, and, and then not only, you know, they, and, and then being a mobile quarterback today, mobile quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield, yeah. Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, um, um, gosh, R- Russell Wilson. Yeah. So today, I, you know, I, I fit the mold a lot better um, than, than, than when, when teams, NFL teams, started to think about athleticism at quarterback. J.C. Watts probably would have popped up in that conversation, but back then it was, you, you, they wanted you to be 6'3", 6'4", drop straight back, read the whole field, and, you know, and, and, and you, you throw the ball downfield 18 yards. They, they didn't want you running the ball downfield 18 yards. And, and today, even the mobile quarterback, they like the mobility and the athleticism, but they want you to use your mobility to buy time, right. not to run the ball. Because defenses will eventually catch up with a running quarterback. It's difficult to catch up with a mobile quarterback where you're buying time and looking to throw it downfield and you're running as a last resort to kind of get your team out of trouble. So I was I was a mobile quarterback that ran the wishbone and... Um, I was I was a black quarterback. You, you just didn't see many black quarterbacks unless it was you know the Southwestern Athletic Conference SWAC, Grambling, Jackson State, et cetera. And I told you earlier, I said when I grew up, I I knew more about Grambling and Notre Dame because that's who we saw on Sunday morning playbacks before we went to church. So um, so I knew quite a lot about the black quarterbacks in 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 uh, the Southwestern Athletic Conference. So I, when I graduated college, um, I was going to go to Canada and prove that I could throw the ball 30 times a game. And, and I went to Canada and threw the ball 30 times a game, but kind of enjoyed being in Canada and, and uh, the style of football. And, and after uh, five years, I just decided it was time for me to move on and start thinking about another career and you didn't you know Canada you were not going to make I mean it was the money was nowhere near what you'd make in the National Football League Uh, you lost you know 25 30 cents on every dollar when you transferred it to send it back home every week to to the family but but I enjoyed Canada Ottawa I loved Ottawa I loved Toronto I, I loved the people I had a good career but uh, after the 1986 season, I just knew that it was time for me to move on and yeah. go do something else. Yeah, and you you know you did journalism in college, right? Right. Why why journalism? Well, it was a great pre it was a great prerequisite for law school. Okay. And I was I was going to go majored in journalism with intentions of going to law school, but sure. you know when I graduated high school, I mean graduated college. 
my wife and I, we had two kids and then a third kid and a fourth kid. We got that thing turned on and couldn't turn it off. <laughs> so so, I, so I, I couldn't, and I studied yeah. to, to, for the LSAT and to go to law school, but just, you know, life's... The, the life's pressures and 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 life's economic, um, uh, the economic needs, the capital needs that we have, I, I that we had, I just didn't think it was feasible for sure. me to be trying to take time off and go to law school. Yeah. But yeah, um, journalism was a was a great prerequisite for law school. Yeah. So so you have that moment, like I said, at the '86 season, you decide done going back to Oklahoma. Well, what's the plan from there then? I, I, I didn't know. Yeah. I, I literally just took a step of faith and had no idea what I was going to do. And um, 30 days later, I was in youth ministry and, wow. and spent uh, eight years in, in uh, youth ministry. Uh-huh. And um, a guy, and, and, I, and I do believe this was a God thing because... I had no idea what I was going to do. I was just stepping out in faith. I just felt like it was time for me to to move on and and do something else. And and I didn't. I, I was afraid of of actually getting out and and being somebody's thirty year old trainee, a thirty two year old trainee. And I had a nice scholarship. I mean, a nice contract offer on the table from Toronto football team and. And uh, I remember telling the general manager, I said, I just feel like God's allowed me to play my last football game and I'm going to go and see what else is out there. And, and he, he understood. And so um, I came home uh, around the 1st of December that year in 1986, and I had lunch with a pastor that I had known um, um, I had met him before. I really didn't know him. Mm-hmm. And so um, he called me and asked me to consider being their youth director. And I thought, oh, my God, give me the singles, give me the seniors, but the youth, I'm not so sure. And so we thought about it, gave it a lot of thought, and, and uh, decided that uh, we'd do it. And I started an eight-year love affair with the kids in the Midwest City, Dale City area, and did that for eight years until I got into, uh, yeah. got into politics. And, and also, during that time in ni- 1987 or 88, little-known little fact, because uh, I've not publicized this much, but Grant Taft, who was a head coach at Baylor University at the mm-hmm. time, offered me the quarterback coaching job. Yeah. And... And uh, I, I guess it was 1988, he offered me the quarterback coaching job. And I told him, I said, Coach, and we thought about it for three years. It, um, would have made $65,000, which was good money yeah. at, at that time. I asked him about recruiting because I heard all these recruiting tales and Coach Switzer and coaches talking about recruiting. And... and um, you know, remembered how coaches recruited me, and you're traveling a lot. And I said, you know, coach, where do you? How about recruiting? Where do you all recruit? And I and I just was thinking, man, I'll be all over the country, and 
And he said, 90% of our kids are in the state of Texas. Now, as big as Texas is, that you, know, you probably feel like you know, if you go from, from Houston to El Paso, Washington, D.C. is probably closer to Houston than El Paso is. So, but we, we thought about it and uh, gave it some serious consideration. But, but at the end of the day, I told him, I said, told Coach Staff, I said, um, Coach, I, I said, I just feel like um, God has plans for me here in the state of Oklahoma that I'm, I'm not supposed to do this. Well, a year later, I was in politics. Yeah. And um, folks of Oklahoma allowed me to serve and in, in, in state government for four years was, and then um, they, I was fortunate that they allowed me to serve the state in the U.S. House of Representatives for eight years, and I said I was going to serve for six, I served for eight, and after eight, again, I was at a place in my life that I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go do, do other things, yeah. and that's what uh, that's what I've done. Yeah, yeah. All right, everybody. That is the end of part one for our interview with with um, JC Watts. Coming up soon this week will be part two. Uh, we're going to dive into all of his um, writing, uh, getting into public service, and, and a bunch of other cool stuff. He uh, has founded a uh, a TV station. He also was a preacher um, and recently also uh, on the board of Paycom. So that's coming in part two. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing an Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahoma.com oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor. They do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma and without their support, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. This episode is presented by the Choctaw Nation. The Choctaw people have a rich history and a bright future. At the Choctaw Cultural Center, you can take part in a story 14,000 years in the making. Stroll through our immersive exhibits portraying Choctaw life from the moment our ancestors emerged from the Nani Weha in Mississippian homelands to the Trail of Tears, where we lost so many loved ones, and finally to the modern-day tribe making a positive impact on local communities throughout southeastern Oklahoma. Try your hand at our social dancing and stickball and learn more about our vibrant culture through demonstrations, workshops, and classes. The kids will have a blast in our Luxie Activity Center. The Choctaw Cultural Center is more than a museum. It's a living, breathing experience. Visit ChoctawCulturalCenter.com to plan your visit. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. 
Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.